Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day, framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The theme of the second episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is, it is what it is. So, uh, this welcome to the second uh, episode of the Highfalutin Podcast. The topic we're going to discuss today is, it is what it is. It is what it is was, was President Trump's response to a question in the, the interview by Axios, um, where he was asked about the, the death toll of Americans as a result of coronavirus and the fact that we, there are a thousand Americans dying every day as a result of the coronavirus. And his response to that was, it is what it is. And obviously that's that he's taking some heat for that and that's in the news. And we thought that that was a, that was an interesting, an interesting vantage point to take here on the current events and to, to try to look at it through that lens a little bit and to, to examine that. Um, so, you know, are those things really unchangeable? Is that just what it is? And, and that's, we have to accept that. We're not sure that we're going to, we're going to maybe talk through that a little bit today and, and decide um, if in fact that's the case. Um, and I don't know, on a personal level, um, for me, when I thought about the, what it is, what it is, I, I, I thought about the, the serenity prayer that you, um, you hear um, the uh, members of Alcoholics Anonymous um, often uh, a quote and, and you'll hear them talk about. And, and that prayer is, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So you're, you're asking for the serenity to understand those things that they are what they are and they can't be changed, but you're also, you need the courage to change the things that, that need to be changed and, and you need some sort of wisdom to, to understand the difference. And, um, and those are important distinctions, I think. Um, Monica, what, what, it is what it is. What, what does that mean to you? What does that make you think about? Whenever I hear that term in any context to me, it just sounds really dismissive and flippant, you know, and, and in this example, I think Trump is just not taking the magnitude of the situation seriously. Anytime anyone says it, I think they're, it's a bit of a cop out, you know, like you mentioned, it's just assuming that nothing can be done when in fact anything, you know, you can always do something to try to change a situation. He's not acknowledging that we are, you know, persevering as country with vaccines and treatments are starting to look promising. New York Times has a vaccination tracker that you can check out. And a lot of people, including myself, um, over 150,000 people actually have signed up to potentially test the vaccine, which if you're healthy and is something to consider, you know. Did doing. you sign up to test? Is that right? I did. Yeah. They haven't called me in, but you are not exposed to or given the virus as part of part Participating. I think a lot of people make that assumption that you would be. The, the assumption is by, by having a number of people participate, you are, you're most likely going to encounter it somewhere out there in the wild. Um, but of course, I do reserve the right not to, but um, you know, a lot of that testing is phase three. So if, for example, like that is something that people can't do if you are healthy. You, know, you can also just wear your mask, social distance. You know, there, there's things that can be done. So anyway, that term in and of itself to me just sounds very dismissive and flippant. And I'm not surprised here by Trump, who is very dismissive and flippant of a lot of things. That's great. Ryan, what, do you, what does it make you uh, think of? Yeah, so the first thing it makes me think of, it reminds me of a uh, James Brown uh, refrain in a song 
where uh, he has the whole band chanting, uh, it is what it is. Um, so I don't, uh, while I understand how uh, you guys and agree that uh, in this particular case with Trump that it was flippant and dismissive, I've always looked at it as kind of a, a prideful kind of thing, you know, kind of take it or leave it. Uh, so a little bit, you know, different definition. And it's, uh, I'm a lover of the funk. So it, it, it always makes me kind of smile when I hear it because it's kind of, uh, you know, a funny prideful thing more so to me. But obviously uh, hearing it from the president in reference to a pandemic <laughs> is uh, disheartening to say the least. The, that James Brown song, it's you, you were talking about, it's, it's uh, Mind Power, right? And it's the, when did that Correct. album come out? Yeah, what, I'm sorry. That? It's off his 1973 release, The Payback. Okay. So like that context of 1973, like what do you think James Brown is talking about when he's saying it is what it is in that, you know, in that song? Well, uh, you know, a big part of his message is, um, you know, uh, black empowerment. Um, I think uh, those are the Nixon years. Uh, so there was a lot of, uh, obviously, um, political unrest. Um, and if you think black people are treated bad today, if you can imagine what it might have been like in 1973. You know, in that particular song, I'm not sure that it's just more than, uh, it's uh, kind of picking yourself up by the bootstraps to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Having pride in who you are. Um, dealing with the situation at hand, uh, but, but moving forward uh, and uh, using your mind to get beyond the, uh, the trials of the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of feel like, like he's got a couple of messages there. Like he's talking to black people saying like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a camaraderie thing, right? It is what it is. We're all in this together. Like, we, you know, this is a situation we have to face, right? Like every day. And then I feel like he's also talking to the establishment and saying like, Hey, Watergate, and uh, you know people are rising up, and uh, you know that is what it is, and they're gonna, you know, it's the change is gonna come for you. And now, highfalutin news. So obviously, we we chose this theme because because the president said this in this interview. Um, and it was in response to, and the interview was great. If you haven't watched the interview, the Axios interview, I think uh, Mark Swan, I think is the name of the, the guy who interviewed him. Um, he, that guy does a terrific job and the whole Washington press corps should watch that, watch that interview if they haven't already, because he really tries to hold Trump's feet to the fire and hold him accountable and just kind of call him when he is, when he is peddling falsehoods. And um, the, so the question he was asking is, you know, what about the death rate of of the Americans versus the percentage of the population, right? And then how that's that's a tough statistic right now for the United States that you know we have a thousand people dying a day, um, you know the numbers are are not good, right? I mean we've had in in the United States we've had f almost five million people who have contracted the virus, over one hundred and sixty thousand people have died. Um, and, and the current rate is is a thousand people a day, and 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 Trump tried to spin that several different ways. He tried to spin it as like number of people who have been infected, who who end up dying, and, and you know the United States is not terribly lagging behind the rest of the world in, in that category. 
but the interviewer kept saying, that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, you know, the percentage of people against the entire population of the United States and how that number is not a good number for, for what's supposed to be right. The, the leader of the free world, the, you know, one of the industrialized nations, how, how, why is that number so startlingly bad? And does the president have some kind of responsibility for that? Because he was the one, you know, week for weeks who was kind of not acknowledging the situation, who, I mean, maybe you can say months, was saying, you know, nobody, masks don't make a difference. I'm not going to wear a mask, who was, who was um, just trying to get the economy started. And I understand there's camp people who think it's extremely important, you know, people are hurting and their, their, their jobs are at stake and you want to get the economy started. But you have to acknowledge that other piece of it about the dangers and how many people are dying and his response it is what it is just seems like a total abdication of any sort of responsibility and he's done that before you, you know you, you he was asked early on like do you bear any responsibility for this and he said you know he said no um that i don't think is going to sit well with the american people like i think that they want their leaders to to be responsible for things and to um, accept responsibility when when the chips are down, and his reluctance to do that, I think I think is I hope is going to come back and bite him. Um, that whole interview was like watching a slow motion like car crash. I mean, it was like he's he's got all these. Did you see that? I mean, he's got all these crazy sheets of paper that he's, he's pulling out and look at this chart and look at this chart and he can't explain what the charts are. He's just see we're last, which means we're first. I mean, it was it was some crazy stuff. And anybody who watches that, who thinks that that man is fit to lead anything, I, I got a bridge to sell you if that's what you think. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not watch the uh, whole thing. Um, saw some clips and that were entertaining, but I think one of the things he's doing is he's inciting a lot of sort of anger and hatred, um, not promoting empathy in any way. And we're starting to see that in different ways throughout the country. Um, I don't know if you all are aware, but hostility and violence against the homeless is on the rise, particularly here in Chicago. In Avondale alone, there were three tent encampment fires over the last like few weeks. And a man was stabbed, Aaron Curry, downtown in Grand Park. And so there's a lot of, you know, Chicago Coalition for the Homeless is a great organization in Chicago and others are doing a lot of advocating for homeless, you know, resources, but it's not just Chicago either. It's LA. We've heard about it on the rise in San Francisco as, you know, more of the tech companies have come in, but it's just speaking to this lack of like empathy that he is promoting, you know, and lack of like looking out for each other and helping each other. Well, that, I think that goes right back to the mask thing, too. I mean, you're, you're not wearing a mask to protect yourself. You're wearing it for, mm -hmm. for empathy's sake, right? Because yeah. you, you don't want your, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, whatever, to get sick. Um, and that Trump's always displayed that lack of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's never yeah. been able to put himself in somebody else's shoes and to, or to, and to make that sound believable in any way. Yeah, he's a spoiled, rich man. He's always had things his way and stepped over people in the process, like his business dealings in the past, too. You've always heard about contractors not being paid on fair situations. He's just not a very good, empathetic person. No, but he is our leader. And, yeah, well, uh, hopefully not for long. He's always disgusted me from uh, inception. Um, as a black person, it's, I, you know, for the first thing, he's a racist. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I had a problem with him from jump because, you know, he doesn't think well of people like me. 
So I've never really had any a lot of appreciation for her. And I always found it somewhat um, awe-inspiring in a, in a bad way that he was able to become the president of the United States. Well, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday, you know, I mean, there's, and, and we, we touched on it a little bit in the first episode, there's just 35% of the population who are basically going to vote for him, whether or not, you know, if, if uh, he said it himself, I can go shoot somebody in Times Square and the supporters are still going to love me, you know, that 35% can go to 40% real easily, like depending on which way the wind is blowing and how the weather is or whatever, you know, that that's you know, 40%. I, but have you ever, why does he hold that kind of power? I mean, why, why is it that, is it that people believe the lie that he's, you know, some like pseudo billionaire that he's successful? Well, you I saw, mean, you know, so try the empathy hat on for a second, right? I mean, like, so what, what is it that those MAGA people are, are looking for? Like, they're afraid, right? Like, make America great again means like turn back the clock, right? It, it means like which doesn't doesn't mean doesn't sit well with my people. Of course not. Of course not. And it's like I mean, you can't you can't go home again. I mean, that's just that's just this like lie that you know like that that you can't buy. I mean, you just can't go home again. Um, Michael, what do you think? So one thing after the election, something that struck me was this just general, I think, lack of education across the country. And I think education just in general, like K through A, um, college education, but two around how the government works and what the government and the president can actually do. Because if you remember Trump was saying all these lies about things he was gonna do that we all knew really weren't within his control. Um, so I think this lack of education oftentimes leads to fear, like you mentioned a little bit, you know, there, and, and particularly in some rural environments, I think there's this, lack of education about like different cultures, different ethnicities, what happens in the city type thing. And so I think it's really feeding into that fear. So my big thing is, can we push more education? Can we get people more educated on politics and on, which is a complicated thing in and of itself, you know, um, and just education in general. I mean, education is, is so like the long-term goal, you know, and the long-term fix for that. But it's a little bit, it's a little bit deeper than that. It's, it's about diversity, right? There's a reason why point. urban areas have always voted blue and why rural areas always go red, um, conservative uh, being red and, um, you know, liberal being blue. Um, there, I mean, there's the reason for that is because in those urban areas, people see public dollars at work and they are living in a diverse atmosphere. So no matter what, um, personal feelings you have, you see other people and you, and that forms your opinion. You see public dollars at work, that forms your opinion. When you're in the suburbs or further out in more rural areas, you don't see public dollars in your work. People honestly think that they built whatever they have all on their own. When the, mm -hmm. when the weird part is, is we are a collective. As much as people don't want to accept or believe that, um, you're only as good as your weakest link. So if you don't help out those that need it, then we all suffer in some way or another, whether it be just there being a homeless population or crime or violence. Uh, that's, uh, those are the um, outcomes of an unjust society. I mean, those MAGA, the MAGA folks, right? Like you go back to the serenity prayer we talked about at the beginning, like, you know, the, the, 
the courage to change the things you can, the, the serenity to accept the things you, you can't change and the, and the wisdom to know the difference. You can't stand in the way of progress. I mean, you just can't do it, you know, and the, the history has shown that time and time again. I mean, progress is going to happen. The times are going to change, you know, things are going to advance. I feel like those, you know, the MAGA folks feel like something's being taken from them that was never theirs to begin with, right? I mean, but they, they were sold this idea that it was theirs. And, um, I, I, you know, I had a, I had a, a Trumper, a Trump supporter tell me, well, well, Matt, by, you know, 2030, you know, white people may not be the majority in this country anymore. And like my, my response was, so what? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't understand, you know, like what's the, what's the beef there? Like, um, what's the fear, you know? And, and he, the guy Just was- the status quo. Well, right, right. And, and the, guy, the guy was like, I mean, when he told me this, he wasn't trying to be clever. He wasn't trying to necessarily prove a point. Like he was legitimately scared of this fact. And I think that comes from a bit of ignorance. I think that comes from, a, and you know, I hate to say that, and I'm not trying to get on a high horse and, you know, and talk with the high hand, but um, this stuff was never yours to begin with, you know? And, and you, if you think people are taking it from you, that's not right. This is a reboot of what, how it's supposed to be. I mean, this is supposed to be equality for all. This is the American dream doesn't belong to just white people. It belongs to everybody. Well, if we think about education, going back to it really quickly, we have been taught education based on a certain, a certain way. It's sort of, it's written by the winners, so to speak. You know, we're just starting, everyone's starting to learn more about the Tulsa race riots, which none of us really learned much about in school, largely because of the show Watchmen, which has kind of exposed it yeah, and introduced yeah. it back into society. So if you think about like what we've all been taught at the basic level, again, it goes back to like, we are all for the most part educational, educated people. I love history. So we're digging into the history and we're learning things that aren't always taught in school, but not everyone's doing that. And so our standard education needs to improve and people need to, in my opinion, be more exposed, like you mentioned, um, Brian, two different cultures, different ethnicities, different history that may not have been written by the winners. All true. I, I, I've, although I, I almost shudder at the word ignorance, even though I think it applies. I know, it's a hard word. Yeah. It's a, well, I think it's more about uh, diversity. I, I think people, you know, when you know better, you do better, right? I don't mm -hmm. think that people realize, I think if people, it's tough because it's like, it's almost like you could apply when you apply race, it's like almost applying like gender bias and stuff. Um, and it's just like, well, they've been exposed to women their whole life and they still act this way. Um, but <laughs> and there's lots uh, of educated racists, right? I mean, there's lots of, exactly. like, you know, exactly. so, professors who are still ignorant. right. So I think it's, I think sometimes in, I think in addition to education, it's really diversity that uh, is what lies at uh, the base of this issue. And that I think when people understand, when you grow up to some, when you grow up next door to somebody that's different than you, you have a different perspective than if everybody around you is the exact same. Cause then you'll just throw up your hands and go, I don't understand what the, everybody's upset about. And everybody agrees and goes, yeah, I don't get it, MAGA. Yeah, and I think that's what happened with the LGBT um, exposure and acceptance in large parts. I think you started to see some conservative families or families that never been exposed to LGBT community members have a kid that came out and started to kind of realize, or a family member, and they start to realize, oh, wait, this is, you know, not Precise. this terrible thing. So I completely agree. And I, 
if you, if you look at a lot of the stats, we, diversity is increasing as a population. You know, we are seeing the white population minimized, which I appreciate and I think helps towards exposing more people to different cultures. But you're right, we still have rural environments and suburban environments that aren't quite so exposed. And how do we, how do we resolve that? change is scary for people and uh you know if, if you're living in a city where you where you see this you know kind of diversity every day you, you know it's a positive thing um if you're living out in you know white collar county or whatever where there's very little diversity um and you hear about crime in the cities and you hear about you know problems in the cities it's something that that you're afraid of because it's it represents some sort of change um and diversity like diversity is the answer because once you have this exposure to diversity you realize that it isn't so scary. Yeah, change is scary, but it's inevitable. Yeah. Anybody else? Is there anything else in the news that anybody wants to hit on? So one thing I did want to hit on, speaking of taking some responsibility and some sweet justice, I'm not sure if you all saw this in the news, but the New York State uh, Attorney General is trying to dissolve the NRA in a suit, accusing them of wide-ranging fraud and self-dealing. So the CEO and a lot of his lieutenants apparently were involved in decades-long fraud using $64 of the nonprofit's money for their own gain in three years. You know, this has been an organization that has been ignorant and dismissive, you know, of gun violence in the country and leaning on that Second Amendment kind of as a crutch. So I can't help but smile a little bit, you know, to kind of see this self-righteous organization, you know, having- Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, you know. (laughs) Exactly, it couldn't happen to a worse guy. So (laughs) just wanted to point that out that, you know, there's a little bit of sweet justice. The NRA, the uh, talk about like taking it is what it is and totally turning it on its head. Like they, you know, they, 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 Peddle the Second Amendment is something it is not to make people believe that they have some sort of right that they don't. It, it's unbelievable. And yeah, it all boils down to money. I mean, the the NRA is not is not a it is not a private it's not like a watchguard for private citizens. It's not trying to protect your rights. The NRA is 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 a lobbyist for for gun owners and for and for gun and not even gun owners for gun manufacturers and sellers. And um, so they're, they're not trying to protect anybody's rights. They're trying to protect profit for industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and anybody who, who thinks differently, again, I, I got a bridge to sell you. Um, that's what the NRA does. And, and um, they do it very well and very effectively. And the country has paid the price for it for years and years. I, I think the GOP has moved that direction as well. I, I don't think it's just the NRA, you know? Yeah. I think uh, the conservative party is using a lot of smoke and mirrors, but when it all comes down to it, it's just about money and yeah. keeping control. Well, a lot of me just thinks that this whole administration is just a cash grab, right? I mean, like the, at the end of the day, like it's just a cash grab. It's about the money. It's about trying to keep this, you know, deregulation to keep the stock market high and uh, just trying to like stuff as much money into the rich people's pockets as you can until this, this thing is the reason up. why he hasn't released his tax returns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not principled. <laughs> Well, I don't think we're going to have a lot of listeners in red states, guys. The, uh, <laughs> and now, highfalutin arts. All right. So talking about the arts, you may have heard Disney is releasing the live action version of Mulan. Um, somewhat begrudgingly on Disney+, Plus, they were holding out to get in the theater and they state that this is not setting a precedence for them. Um, though you have to pay $30 on top of your existing like 7 or $8 a month charge. Some people are complaining about it, saying it's, you know, 
you're already paying for a Disney Plus. Why should you pay more? But others are saying, quite honestly, if you took a whole family to a theater, you'd spend way more than that, you know, on snacks as well as tickets. Um, so personally, I would pay because I don't know if you were aware, but that was one of the early movies that had sort of, or Disney movies had a strong woman character. And if you've watched it, Eddie Murphy playing Mushu the dragon is hilarious. Like it is just, you know, and that's why some people are complaining too. They're like $30 to buy the action, ver to watch the live action version without Mushu, you know, but, um, but it's awesome. It's hilarious. And, and personally, I would pay and I'd be curious to see like how many other people would too. But it's interesting in these times that people are adapting, Disney's adapting, you know, they're releasing it online, but trying to still make some yeah. money off it. So, I mean, that's not the experience people want. They don't, they want to go see it in the theater, you know, but it is what it is. You can't change that. You got to go, uh, if you want to see it, you got to pay 30 bucks and sit on your couch and watch it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I never saw Mulan. The, uh, that came out. Watch it. Like, yeah. I, I you gotta watch it. Eddie Murphy's hilarious as Mushu. When did that come yeah. out? Was that like the nineties? Yeah. Yeah. Nineties. So it's awesome. So that's one point. Second, I don't know if you all know, Congress this week actually, I think, is um, debating various forms of aid to music venues. So they've got it's specifically independent music venues. There's three bills. One's called the Restart Act, covering all kinds of closed businesses. Save Our Stages focuses on independent music venues and an Encores Act allows music venues to recoup some of the devastating loss they're experiencing. And actually David Byrne wrote a piece on Polster offering his own opinion on this and talking about how, you know, obviously a lot of the greater big name people got their start in these small talk clubs. And he talks about the ecosystem of these clubs, like the small ones nurture and feed, the slightly larger ones and the slightly larger ones nurture and feed, you know, the even larger stadiums. Um, he talks about really the economic damage being really great if there are no life preservers for these venues. Polster estimated 9 million in ticket sales lost, and that's not even including like the related items like merchandising. Wow. But his point was if we let the arts go, it's gonna just cost a whole lot more and take a whole lot longer to build it up. So it's exciting that these are in Congress and hopefully they pass um, and help those music venues in need. That is exciting. And it'd be real easy to, for people to sit back and say that, you know, the situation is what it is and we just have to wait it out and, you know, but something can be done. Right. I mean, and this is, you know, when something can be done, it should be done. Um, and that's, that's encouraging to see. Although we are talking about the United States Congress. Correct. So you're skeptical. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, they have to, I mean, they haven't got a package together for, the every the common man. Yes, yeah, no, I, I saw they're still duking that out. So yeah. I mean, if they can't do that, what makes you think they're going to jump to the arts? And you know, I just, I they should, and I am encouraged by that. Uh, but that being done or helping out the the real mom and pops, just like in the last bailout, you know, airlines and and everybody else, the big companies did perfectly well. And they are doing perfectly well. The stock price is okay. And, you know, if they get in real trouble, they just lay people off. But the company itself are doing well where the people are still being squeezed. That's why you, I mean, that's why we were having so much unrest um, for, well, a plethora of reasons. But a lot of the reason I think it's bubbling to the surface is because people are legitimately scared for their futures. I happen to be working a job right now that I'm not sure once the season passes that they're going to be able to continue to uh, keep me on full time. Then what, you know, cause my mega, my regular uh, uh, line of work uh, is not viable and, and during a pandemic, um, rightfully so, 
but what are we to do? Yeah. No, there needs to be support for people. I mean, you can't, you can't expect a whole industry to just disappear and people to be okay. They're not doing enough. Um, and this is, this sounds like a great plan, but as many things, uh, in Congress, I, I, I'm highly skeptical that anything meaningful would be done for the people that need it the most. No, I agree. And you have, you're correct in being skeptical of Congress. My hope is if nothing happens near term, we have some change in November that hopefully can turn some things around. So like uh, Obama said, hope, hope, gotta have hope. And now, highfalutin sports. All right. I'm ready for sports. I got some good sports. Stuff. Let's talk sports. All right. So uh, the, what stood out to me uh, in recent events is the Pac-12 uh, players of the uh, Pac-12, which is uh, the Pacific um, Athletic Conference, um, schools like Stanford, um, uh, UCLA, Cal, um, Arizona State, Oregon. Players have banded together and uh, made a list of demands, um, and it's called We Are United. Uh, the We Are United campaign. And it's a list of demands they have. Um, and what they're basically doing, in my opinion, or what I can sum up, is that they are um, taking their position right now during this pandemic um, and racial reckoning to um, pressure the conference into meeting some of their demands. And it's uh, fourfold, um, and then it gets into greater detail. But the four major points are health and uh, safety protections, um, COVID-19 protections, to protect all sports, not just uh, football, um, that schools should be using their endowment to support all sports instead of leaning heavily on the cash cow that is football to support everything. And then, uh, then it gets a little bit more tricky in their demands um, as far as uh, you know, NCAA regulations and whatnot, but in racial injustice and college sports and society uh, and economic freedom and equality, uh, guaranteed medical expense coverage, um, fair market pay, rights and freedoms. So here's yet another movement that uh, has been sparked by the pandemic that's really got legs. Um, and I find it interesting because it is players seizing on their power. None of this really exists without the players who have been taken advantage of for ever. And, you know, who's making the money off this? It's, and it's not the people that are sacrificing. And I don't think a lot of people realize if you were hurt in college sports, you could lose your scholarship. And not to mention, you are, your medical expenses are, may not be covered after you leave the school. Um, and that's something you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life while the school just carries on. You know, they get the next person, a hungry uh, athlete um, that's sacrificing so much to provide for the school. Now, you, I guess people could argue that they're getting an education and so on and so forth, but let's be realistic. I mean, that doesn't mean, that doesn't give you the right to be treated unfairly. That doesn't give you the right to be... Um, you're not or, just a sacrificial pawn in the, in the money well, game. It's, you know, it's very similar to a plantation system. Yeah. Speaking of, actually, that's a great segue, Ryan. 
Um, so I've been a big fan of Clemson's over the last few years because um, they're a great team, as you know, but they're also in the South. They're in South Carolina. And back in June, actually, members of their football team led hundreds of demonstrators on the school's campus and as they marched for equality and against police brutality, but also um, it was to remove John Calhoun's name from their honors college. So Clemson is built on the site of John C. Calhoun, who is the former U.S. vice president, noted white supremacist and slave owner of that plantation where Clemson, Clemson currently sits. The honors college was named after him and a petition was actually started by NFL stars DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson to change that. And I didn't realize this, but Hopkins purposely omits the university's name from NFL introductions, you know, where they always say what college they went to. He intentionally left it out because he said when he was there, he felt this oppressive figure on campus. So they've they've officially changed the honors college and largely from pressure from players, both college, but also NFL who went there. Um, but there's there's still some other things they need to change, but it's just a great example of these players kind of become, you know, becoming stronger and really having been taken advantage of for so long and starting to like know the power that they hold and having an influence. That's awesome. The, uh, that's really interesting. And I, I love that it's like this, what we're seeing is like this rejection of it is what it is, right? Like you're seeing these people who, you know, there's just been the status quo forever and people don't change it. And they say, well, you know, it is, it is what it is. This is the way it's always been. And we're not going to change it. It's the same thing with the Washington football team, right? The professional team, the, uh, it is what it is. It's the way it's always been. You know, there's, there's a tradition, tradition, right? Um, that's horseshit you know when there's when there's injustice and it's wrong like you you need to do something about it right and they're and they're always betting you know on them on the university because the kids i mean the athletes have such a short period of time to seize whatever they can seize out of it um you know there's very little chance that you're gonna be uh, a starter from day one when you walk on campus so you have to wake your way up so you're willing to take you know you got to pay your dues to a certain extent so um that power is fleeting um and that's why i think this moment is special because they're like hey we're not going to play you're not going to have yourself a football season it's kind of like i think it was yesterday that was the last day that uh the nfl players could opt out to play because of uh covid um and i was surprised at how few it is and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that nfl contracts aren't guaranteed and so in that sense much like um you know college players they feel like they have to or or you know they're going to miss out because nfl is always about the next man up you know you know football in general is overplaced nobody's nobody's you know irreplaceable right um so uh i think it's a special moment like all of these movements are uh, where the players have finally said we've had enough and we're going to do something about it. It's a little lofty, but you know, goals should be. Promising. Uh, yeah, it is. Here, here's my, it is what it is sports uh, moment this week. The, uh, so in the in last episode in episode one of the, our podcast, I talked a little bit about the Chicago Cubs and how, uh, you know, for years I've been a Cubs fan and I live on the North side of Chicago and, you know, I, I watched them win the world series and it was wonderful. And even when they were terrible for years and years, you know, it was a long suffering Cubs. Fan. The, um, but now 
with the Ricketts family owning the Cubs, I have to reconsider that, right? Like, I don't want to give the family that, that, that supports this administration so ardently my dollars to continue to support this administration. Um, and that was a, a hard decision to make. And that was a long inner debate and, and debate with friends about, you know, well, can't I just keep cheering for the Cubs because, uh, you know, they're the Cubs and do I have to really take a moral stand on this? And, you know, I finally came down with, yes, I, I think I do. And the damn Cubs are off to the hottest start they've ever had. <laughs> they won 10, 12. It's like their best start since 1925. The whole baseball season is a bit ridiculous. And there's, you know, no, it's, you know, shortened season and it's, you know, players are dropping left and right with COVID and it's, it's weird and it's scary. Um, but the year I decide to like go off the Cubs, they, they start off the hottest they've ever started off. <laughs> That that's just is what it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not going to make me reconsider my my position. It's not going to make me change my my morals or be you know be convenient with my um, beliefs here. Um, damn! Why couldn't they have done that last year? Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, when you know better, you do better. So w- when you don't realize the power that you have over what you choose to cheer for, you're, you're just like, oh, you know, what does it matter? But it does matter. Um, and your dollars speak and your support speaks. Um, and you can choose to uh, continue on with the status quo. That's you know, Chicago team or whatever. Or you could stand up and say something. That's right. And I think you have to, it, it's easy to say, well, it is what it is and, and, and take that route, right? And say, well, this is just nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. Um, it takes a little bit more, I don't know if courage is the right word, but um, commitment to, to, to sticking with your, with your values. And um, it's not always easy. And not that like, you know, not that cheering like not that i deserve a medal for not cheering for the cubs or whatever i'm not not looking for any you know applause but um it'd be easy to not cheer for them if they were having some horrible year right if they were having if they were you know um then it'd be easy to stick to your convictions right this is when they get tested you know and um so we'll really find out if i have the courage of my convictions here or not i don't think they're going to finish the season i you know i don't think i don't think the football is going to work either I don't think any of it's going to work. I, I think that I, there's part of me that was cheering for it early on because it was like some return to normalcy and I just missed the sports and, you know, reading about it and talking about it and watching it. But it seems crazy to me, like, and everything that's going on to try to be like playing games with teams traveling around right now. It just seems nuts to me. Um, even the NBA stuff, like in the bubble, like that seems crazy. Football, I, like, I, I, I don't know how you're going to do that. Yeah, I think there's a chance with the NBA. I mean, with everybody being sequestered in a bubble, I, I mean, I, I feel like that's the only way it can work. Um, but when you have teams, I mean, a, a football team, that's 100-plus people flying around. There's 32 teams. So that means there's 16 teams getting on a plane, over 100 people flying somewhere, playing the game, then going back home and doing whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, there's three professional teams in Florida, you know? I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> it's just not going to work, you know? <laughs> Yeah, with um, I think with baseball there was the potential because you were social distancing for the most part. But NBA, basketball, your close proximity. But if they are in a bubble, that helps. But you're right, football—it's contact. 
complete contact sport. And if you're not doing anything to protect, it's I just think that I think the travel element of alone just makes it. Almost, I mean, what are you going to do? Take ten jets, like so everybody can socially distance, like you know, like you're going to jam everybody onto a plane together. They're going to be sitting shoulder to shoulder, and they're going to be wearing face masks or not. And then they're all in their twenties, <laughs> or for the most part, yeah. just does it. I don't uh I know I made just nothing but good decisions in my twenties about my personal health. Right. Yeah. 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 With a lot of money and free mm -hmm. time. I can't. They have doctors though. They have doctors, right? <laughs> they do. And they're all taking yeah. COVID tests like all the time, you know. And it's all to make sure that they keep making money. So there's let's you know, they have pro they have, you know, a concussion protocol too. Yeah, right. You know. Right. Keep the dollars flowing. Wink, in. Yeah, wink wink. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. And now, some final thoughts. So, well, let's talk about some final thoughts. The, uh, you know, what stood out to you and what we talked about this week, what stands out, you know, in general about uh, it is what it is. Uh, Monica, you want to start us off? Sure. So, like I mentioned in the beginning, what is, it is what it is oftentimes to me reflects sort of flippant or dismissive attitudes. Um, I think we need more empathy and people need to help each other a little bit more. And we're starting to see that in certain places like saving the arts. I love that we have some congressional bills out there. I hope that they pass, if not now, in November. Um, also, sometimes what goes around comes around with the whole NRA thing. You know, I can't help think of that as a little bit of sweet justice. And hopefully, I think it was also in the news and we didn't touch on this today, but I think that but I think wasn't Biden asked if he would, you know, continue prosecutions against Trump if he became president. And I think he said he would. So there's some hope there, you know, too, that if Biden does become the president, that there will, that, you know, Trump will see his justice. Um, so we will see. Ryan, how about you? Uh, I think you guys have swayed me. I always, uh, like I said, I was kind of fond of the uh, saying it is what it is. Um, and I, uh, I, I think you guys have persuaded me to think about it more as uh, dismissive and um, uh, more of a acceptance of the status quo, which uh, isn't okay. Well, I think that's what resonates with me this week is that, you know, the rejection of it is what it is. The, um, and there's like, there's a context, the James Brown context, Ryan, that you talked about is, uh, there, you know, he's, he's kind of turning on its head a little bit and does a, you know, turns it into a positive thing in a way. Um, mm -hmm. But there are the people who are standing up and saying, hold on, that's unacceptable. Like this may be the way it is, or this may be the way it has been, but you know, it's not going to be the way it is going forward there's that kind of pivot point moment, right? Where people are saying no. And like, you, you know, the example with the, with the PAC uh, 12, PAC 10, PAC 12, PAC 12, um, PAC 12 uh, you know, student athletes, it, I think is a great one. They're banding together and saying, no, you know, this, this has been how it's been, but it's, you know, we're going to change this. Um, you know, that, that reporter in that interview, he could, you know, it is what it is. Trump lies and people just, you know, he gets away with it. That guy held him accountable and tried to, you know, made him look foolish. Um, you need to, you need to call those things out that, that need to be changed. You need to have the courage of your convictions to change them. And it's encouraging to see those things happening right now, even in a pandemic. We close each episode of the Highfalutin podcast with a poem that relates to our theme. A poem, or I guess you'd call a poem, uh, that is on uh, the album I was speaking of earlier. Um, it is a graphic. Uh, it's on the back, uh, and it's got a graphic with the uh, 
Mind Power in the middle of it, uh, which is the last song, which uh, that refrain, um, it is what it is, came from. And it goes as such. It all began with 40 acres and a mule, a simple desire for one whose personal branch on the tree of life struggled to protect itself from the dangerous branches of lust and greed. But nothing good is simple. As yesterday's windmills turned to today's skyscrapers and farms to parking lots, mind power brought about the turnaround of awareness. Anger and revenge increased as time ran out, putting politicians and hustlers in the same bag, backstabbing, scraping, but never rapping. The message cried to live and let live. You can always take some, but leave some. It's hard to give a life away. There are those men who have done the best they can, never wanting it all. But so often, like their greedy lovers, skeptics took their kindness for weakness. Now, skeptics beware. There's always a lull before the storm. It's time for payback, the big payback. It's hard, but it's fair because now it's time for even the godfather to shoot his best shot. And payback's gonna be a mother. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.